0: Job chapter 3 this evening, if you want to turn there with me. Job was quite an incredible man, of course. God, uh, it seems, alone found one person in the Word of God that clearly he was willing to brag about. The Bible tells us in the beginning of the book of Job that Job was a man that was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. And God had blessed him in many ways. He had a great family. Uh, he had, a seems, a number of wonderful assets. He was wealthy. He was a prominent man known throughout the East and had none, done nothing wrong. God had certainly been enjoying his faithfulness and his fellowship. But then, of course, as we saw on one occasion as the angelic beings were coming and presenting themselves before the throne of God, God aware of what Satan himself had been doing, going to and fro among the earth, looking for a next victim, someone else to uh, bring his assault against spiritually. God actually himself proposed Job as a consideration and asked him, have you considered my servant Job? How he's uh, blameless and upright. He said, I have no one like him on the entire earth. And of course, that began kind of this cosmic dialogue where Satan began to accuse God of his lack of worthiness that Job nor anyone for that matter really worshiped God or served God just because God was worthy of worship or because he was good in who he was and Job began to in a sense accuse the only reason why Job or anyone was faithful to the Lord or worshiped him was only because of the things that God had done for them Uh, in a sense Job was saying well the only reason you get Worship the only reason you receive commitment from people on earth is because you bless them so much and you do so many wonderful things in their lives. but if you take those blessings away, uh, even job himself, your most seemingly faithful servant, will curse you to your face and will no longer be loyal to you and of course God took that opportunity as a, a challenge for all of the uh, spiritual realm as well of of course for you and I on this side now having the record of the book of Job and God's word to basically silence. The devil to, in a sense, you might say, shut the mouth of the devil. God allowed this test process to take place where God allowed some access in Job's life by the devil to be able to bring some difficulties into Job's life. And of course, right away, he began attacking the things that were material and tangible in Job's life. And one day, Job pretty much lost everything we saw, lost all of his wealth, lost his business, lost all 10 of his children in one tragic accident. And if that weren't enough, as this process went on, Job continued to show his faithfulness to God, and then, of course, the devil brought up, well, of course, uh, he's been faithful thus far, but let me touch the one area of his actual life, his health, because he says, everybody has a breaking point, point. Uh, and if I can have access to eliminate or disrupt his health, uh, that'll be the final straw, and everybody has their price tag, and indeed, that will be the thing. And then, of course, once again, Uh, In this cosmic conversation going on, which Job's completely oblivious to, God allows the devil, again, access to touch Job's life. He wasn't allowed to take Job's life. But again, remember, then we saw that the devil afflicted Job with these painful sores, these boils and this health affliction that was incredibly painful and lasted for quite a duration of time in Job's life. And yet we were told that though even his own wife recommended to him that he just curse God and die, It says that Job would not allow this to cause him to sin against God or to charge God foolishly and continue to be faithful to the Lord. And again, at this point, remember, he has no idea why these things are even happening. He has no explanation. He has no understanding of what dialogue is going on in the spiritual realm between God and Satan. And we left off last time at the end of chapter 2 where then his three friends— came to him, hearing about his plight and his tragic losses and the painful condition he was right now in, grieving his children, suffering this horrible health affliction. And when they arrived, they were quite taken back. It seems utterly shocked because Job's condition was actually way worse than they even envisioned. So much so that it caused them to actually begin to to weep and to just sit down, it says, for seven days long. They sat down with him and they didn't say a word. They couldn't even imagine what they could possibly say that would be helpful. Yet after seven days of silence now, Job is going to begin to try and start processing this, and he's going to break the silence, and he's going to begin to just kind of express some things of how he's feeling and what he's going through. And then, of course, what that does is that precipitates a response from those friends who had come to be his comforters, who then enter into this long series of dialogues back and forth as they try and basically give Job explanation for why these things were happening in his life. We're going to see this is the great human problem that we oftentimes make when people are going through difficulties, is instead of just providing them comfort and support, uh, a lot of times we just feel this need to want to give people answers and to give them explanations. And the reality is, is we should know by this point as Christians that we don't live by explanations. We just live by promises. Uh, Because there are a lot of things that never get explained to us, and there's always going to be this gap between what is infinite and us, which is finite. And there are a lot of things that just aren't black and white and cut and dry, and we don't always have the reasonings behind why certain things happen and uh, why God allows this to unfold and when it's spiritual warfare and when it's not spiritual warfare. And we're going to see in the chapters ahead from chapter three, really all the way to around chapter 38, the next 30 plus chapters, there's going to be this back and forth dialogue between Job and his friends. Uh, and I'll be the first to admit to you, it, it's going to be tedious. It's difficult. It's one of those kind of things where when if you're familiar with the book of Job, you think, all right, you know, three, four, five, seven chapters of that. We, we kind of got the point there, God, like, can we just get to the good part at the end? where you then intervene, and you start talking, and you dialogue with Job, and then ultimately you restore Job, and there's this kind of good and happy ending. Why 30 chapters of this kind of poetic dialogue back and forth? Why does it last so long? And I think in some ways, because God is just to some degree trying to give us a realistic awareness that a lot of times things don't just have a shortcut to them. A lot of times we would prefer the shortcut to get from point A to point B, but a lot of times there are bigger gaps of time in between what happens and maybe the thing turning a corner or finally we getting some explanation or some resolution. And to some degree, perhaps God is just giving us a reality check that you know, life doesn't always work that way. It's not just sprinkle a little pixie dust and problems go away immediately. Uh, a lot of times things tend to last a lot longer than we would prefer them to. But those are the things that cause us to grow in faith and to have to trust God and embrace mystery and the fact that we don't ourselves have all the answers and we're not even entitled to all the answers. What we are responsible to do is keep trusting God and knowing who he is. So we'll try and move through these chapters a little bit of a faster clip for sake of Of mercy to move our way through these things. Again, a lot of it remembers poetic language, and so it's kind of difficult sometimes. We can get bogged down in some of it. But chapter 3 opens up now with Job. It tells us, after having sit in silence with his friends for an entire week in his suffering, that after this, chapter 3, verse 1, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. Now take notice, it does not say he cursed God. That would have been the temptation he was wrestling with. In fact, that was even, remember, what his wife proposed to him. Look, you're, you're going to die anyway. This is a horrible, miserable situation. I don't want to see you suffer. Why don't you just speed up the process? Remember, she said, curse God and die. And to that response, remember, Job then said to her, you're speaking like one of the foolish women of the land. Shall we accept good from God and not also be willing to accept adversity?" and receive the fact that life is not just good things and pleasant comfort and blessings, but part of life is also hardship and God's sovereign. Uh, And God can determine in what balance we experience blessings and comfort and enjoyable things, and to what degree also we experience our fair share of hardships and tragedy and trial at times as well. So again here, Job's not cursing God. Notice it says he's cursing the day of his birth. The idea is he has a sense of I wish I had never even been born because, again, he's just struggling with what he's going through so much. And to some degree, I think we can appreciate Job's wrestling because it makes us all feel a little bit more normal because when we go through hard times, our minds go to places, our emotions go to places, uh, and we can all struggle to some degree. And here is Job, the man who God brags about. I don't have anyone on earth like him, and I appreciate that God lets us see his humanity. That God shows us this is a very godly man, but yes, he struggles. He's struggling with his thoughts. He's struggling with his emotions and his reasoning. And I, I think in some ways that's a, an indirect comfort to us because sometimes we can think that to be spiritual and love the Lord means that we can never struggle with our thoughts. And we can never have times where we question or doubt or become discouraged or depressed for that matter and Job shows us that's not the case. Notice when Job finally opens his mouth, it says he cursed the day of his birth and spoke and said, may the day perish on which I was born. And the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. Now take notice there. On the night it was said a male child is conceived. No, it doesn't say there just some cells or a fetus was conceived. It says a male that is, God already knew the sex of the child at the moment of conception. Here the Bible speaks about conception, the instant of conception. God already deemed that to be a life. God already deemed it to be a child. And not just the child, God even knew the sex of the child. And really, Psalm 139, all the days written in Job's book were recorded before one of them ever came to be. So again, we always see in the word of God, God upholding conception with life and nothing less than that. A male child was conceived. And he said, May that day of my conception be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May the darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it, and may the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness sees it and may it not rejoice among the days of the year typically you'd rejoice on that day of the year that was your birthday notice he says verse six the end of it and may it not come into the number of the months I mean, in essence what job is saying here is basically i wish the day of my birth were just erased from the calendar again the idea here is Life has become so difficult for him, he's at a place where basically he's saying, if this is what my life existence is going to be like, I wish I had never had a life. I wish my life never came to being. I wish it would just be erased off the calendar that day because to live in this misery is the absolute worst thing anyone could go through. Now, in some ways, this goes to show you that Job, again, is struggling because prior to the time period that he's in right now with all the difficulty and the loss he went through and the you know the the painful situation with his health job had been a very blessed man up to this point to some degree he's kind of forgetting all the blessings that he had experienced for all the years prior he's acting like his entire life has been miserable but again when you're in misery and in pain that kind of tends to be where the the microscopic focus goes into and that's what job's dealing with here so he said i just wish my birth had never even taken place he says oh he says verse 7 may that night be barren and may no joyful shout come into it again the idea of the joyful shout of a, a son is born may they may those curse it who curse the day those who are ready to arouse leviathan now we'll see as we go further in job this seems to be a reference to a large sea creature and potentially This could be some of the biblical inferences to the dinosaurs, and we'll talk about that when we see this surface later on, but keep track of that creature mentioned here, Leviathan. We'll talk more about that as we go further. He says, verse nine, "'May the stars of its morning be dark. "'May it look for night but have none, "'and not see the dawning of the day, "'because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, "'nor hide sorrow from my eyes.'" Now, take notice here, this repeated word. I'm sure none of us have never used this word before, right? Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Again, a euphemism in the Bible for death. Then I would have been at rest with the kings and the counselors of the earth. Who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? So Job says, if this is what my life was going to be, if this is what the outcome of my life experience was going to unfold into, then he says, why was I ever even born? Why was I not just like a stillborn child? Why didn't I just die at death rather than have to live out this difficult earthly experience with the pain and the problems I'm going through in my life right now? And Job is brought to the place where all of us are at times when we go through hardships, whether it's personal loss or maybe grieving the loss of of a loved one in a tragedy. Again, remember, this is a man that just lost 10 of his children, all of them. In one day, that's tremendous, trying to overcome that. On top of that, he's lost his wealth. He's lost his entire livelihood, and now he's horribly stuck in a very painful health condition. And so that key word, which is often the word when we go through difficulties, begins to surface. Why, why, why? Just goes to show you how normal we are, because that is typically one of the things we start wrestling through. Lord, why is this happening? Why did you allow this to happen? Why is this going on? And we try and find reasons and answers for what it is that we're going through. And this is a very common struggle in the midst of human suffering to ask the question why. Now, I hate to be a, 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 a spoiler to the end of the story, but by the end of the book, God never answers that question. He never ultimately answers the question why. And and I think it's important for us to recognize that sometimes we honestly only punish ourselves when we go through suffering in different forms, and we feel like that we need to have the answer why to be able to cope with whatever hardship we're going through, whether it's the tragic loss of a loved one that's just rocked our world in pain and sorrow, whether it's the loss of our business or the loss of all of our wealth or the loss of our health or struggles that we're going through, and we feel like that if we could just have the answer why, If I just knew why, then I would be able to deal with it properly. And the reality is, the book of Job teaches us that's not necessarily true. Nor does God feel that he is always entitled to answer every time we ask why. Now, that's important because you can continue to torture yourself on top of what you're going through by always pushing the issue of searching for the answer to why, and you may never get it on this side of eternity. And Job never did himself, but yet it's a very normal question to ask. But the guarantee of the answer is never given to us. And Job here is just saying, why was I ever born? I wish I had just died from birth and been laid to rest, he says, with kings and counselors, others who are just asleep in the grave. Therefore, he says, verse 17, the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest. And there the prisoners rest together, and they do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Now, here you begin to see, as Job is r- trying to reconcile this mentally and dealing with his own emotions, you begin to recognize that some of the ways of his reasoning aren't a 100% accurate. Because Job says, Man, if I could just be in the place of the dead right now, then there would be no more trouble, I wouldn't be weary of this, and there would be rest together with others who are resting in that condition. Well, look, the wicked aren't in rest. That's not true. Job's saying, I wish I could just be dead like all the other people, even the wicked, because then I'd finally be at rest. Job, that's not 100% accurate. The wicked are not in rest. Those who die in wickedness are suffering even more pain and torture than anyone ever experiences on this earth and so again as we reconcile what we're going through understand when i'm in the midst of a hardship when you're going through some difficulty you can't 100 percent trust your own reasoning and, and, and remind yourself of that reality because you may be trying to process it and think it through but recognize these are the times why it's good to live by faith And to be careful that you don't give into your own ideas and your own emotions too much, because a lot of times your reasoning and my reasoning can get very off track. And even Job here, this very godly man, he's reasoning this incorrectly. The wicked are not in rest. They're in great torment and suffering, actually. Verse 20 says, and why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Who long for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in for my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out? like water so when he says my sighing come before i eat my groanings pour out like water the idea is just a loss of appetite he's in such grief he's in such anguish and pain he's saying i don't even have an appetite anymore i'm in constant groaning over what's going on and again as he continues to ask why why is light given to him who is in misery those who he says verse 21 who long for death but it does not come now you know somebody's in a bad place when they're literally longing for death now understand, Job recognizes, though he is longing to be dead, be, to, to feel a sense of release from what he's going through, there is no indication of Job thinking it's appropriate to end his own life. He may be saying, you know what, I wish I was dead. I'm longing for death. I can't wait for the day death comes to free me from this human pain and suffering that I'm having to live with. But Job here in no way is being suicidal. He's not making comments as if somehow he's going to end his own life. He's just saying, God, I wish you would bring an end to my life. And there's a very big difference between that. There's a big difference between just saying, God, life is hard. And God, would you please give me release in the midst of pain and suffering as compared to taking the matter into your own hands and doing what is sinful and overriding God's authority and choosing to end your life prematurely. That is sinful because that's playing the role of God and saying, God, you're letting me suffer, and I can't continue to endure this suffering, so therefore I'm going to end my own life. Well, that, that, that's wrong, crossing that boundary there. Job here is simply saying, I would prefer to be dead rather than suffer like this. Why, he says, God, do you keep me longing for death, but it has not yet come to me? He says, verse 25, and this is kind of a bad place to be if you ever find yourself here. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble come. So apparently, as we all do sometimes, you know, we kind of think through, man, if this ever happened, that would absolutely be horrible. And Job says, the thing that I feared, the thing that I dreaded, it's now happened in my own life. You know, sometimes as people, we kind of have these fears and phobias of, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens or, you know, what if I get cancer someday or what if I lose my job or what if one of my family members dies tragically and, we, you know, we see hardship and things happen to other people and we have these kind of internal fears and Job says, I had those fears too and what I feared and dreaded most, it's now happened to me. It's now come into my life, he says, that very tragedy that I was terrified might someday happen has now come to pass. And he says, I find myself completely restless for trouble has come. Now, Job is just voicing the way that he feels and kind of expressing himself. He's trying to process this verbally. And it's at this point now, the first of the three friends begins to feel like that he needs to give Job some explanation rather than just let Job say what he's saying and trust Job's heart rather than just listen to Job's words. And look, and that's a key, folks, when somebody is hurting or going through a hardship, you need to hear their heart. Don't listen to their words, because when people are hurting, they say all kinds of crazy things. We say things that aren't true. We say things that aren't accurate. We just make comments because we're expressing our hurt and our frustration. And and the mistake we make is sometimes we listen to people's words and then we try and answer them because we feel like we've got to correct their words. And we need to give explanations to what they're saying. And, and the reality is, is what we need to do is just pay attention to people's hearts and realize they are hurting. They're going through a difficult time right now. And a lot of times that could be one of the ways we spare ourselves from then expressing a lot of the things we see these friends begin to do. So the first counselor who goes from being a comforter to a counselor is Eliaphaz. And he'll be the one who, in the end, gets the greatest rebuke from God. Chapter 4, Eliaphaz the Temanite answered job and said if one attempts a word with you will you become weary but who can withhold himself from speaking now now he incriminates himself right from the first verse there he says look who in the world could hold back right now from speaking to you after what they're seeing in your life and after what you just said i mean i have to say something Job.'" Who could withhold himself from not speaking up at a time like this? And that is probably one of the greatest human mistakes we all make when people are in hardship, is we feel like that we have to say something. We feel like we need to give some comment or explanation. Who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely, he says to Job, verse 3, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling. And you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Now, two things here. First of all, Eliphaz does compliment Job, which gives us more insight to what Job's character was like. He says, Job, you many times before have offered instruction. You've strengthened the weak. You've upheld those who are stumbling. You've supported those going through difficulty. You know what the Bible says? A word spoken in due season. How wonderful it is. A word spoken to the weary in due season is, is a very helpful thing. And many times Job had apparently done that. As a godly man, many times he had said things to strengthen and uphold people, to give them instruction, to, to help them in the midst of their weariness and their troubles. And he says, Job, you've done this many times. But now he says it's come upon you. And now the very things that you said to others, Job, he says, you have to be willing to live by those things yourself. You have to be willing to hear those same truths for yourself. And in a sense, what he's implying here is, Job, it was very easy for you to give counsel to other people, but it seems now that you're not willing to live by your own advice. It seems now that you're not willing to take your own instruction that you've given out to others. And he says, isn't your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of ways, your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? In other words, what he's beginning to apply already is Job. The problem is, is that somehow you're assuming that you're innocent in this process. And he says, I don't see how that could be true. And he's gonna say, because we know that God is a just God, And he punishes the evil and he rewards the good. So Eliaphaz, from the start out of the gate, already begins to say to Job, Job, whenever has anyone who is innocent and upright perished or been cut off? Job, the problem is, apparently, you're not innocent. Apparently, Job, we need to get to the root of what's going on in your life. Because if you're innocent, none of these horrible things would be happening to you. Now, Unfortunately, what he's failing to disregard is the fact that indeed it is true that man reaps what he sows and that God is a just judge. But there have been plenty of times where people who have been innocent have suffered. Even prior to the time of Job, for example. Remember the first murder in the Bible, Cain and Abel? Why was Abel murdered by Cain? Because he was righteous. Not because he did something wrong. Abel was innocent and he suffered greatly. Noah suffered at the hands of people in his day, and he was a godly man. Of course, the ultimate example, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has ever perished being innocent Verse seven, Jesus, Jesus was completely innocent. He was sinless and yet he perished and he was cut off in death. So we have to be careful of this automatic assumption that there's some underlying reason that, well, the reason why that person's going through that is probably because, it's probably because maybe there must be something going on in their personal life. There must be something going on that, you know, God's just having to deal with them in regards to something. You know, maybe you've had people say that kind of thing to you before. I I know firsthand, I, you know, have a few different times in my life. One of them particularly, I remember right before we moved down here when we were going back and forth uh, doing the, the Bible study in that season there, and I was uh, going to church on a Sunday morning, and I had two of the girls in the van with me. Trish and Abby were away at a women's retreat, and I had the two younger girls with me. And on the drive into church that Sunday morning, uh, you know, early ahead head there, going through a green light, somebody blew through a red light, T-boned the van that I was in. And thanks be the grace of God, I was in the police chaplain van. It was a great end of the story. <laughs> because I was in a police chaplain, van, one, my car didn't get wrecked. The city's car got wrecked. And this car hit us, T-boned us, flipped over our van onto the roof, sent it across you know, four to five lanes of traffic and off the other side of the road. Thankfully, by God's you know, miraculous grace and preservation, we were protected, hanging there upside down from our seat belts. They yanked the doors open and, and got us out of there. And, of course, because it was a police vehicle, people got there quick because they heard a police vehicle overturned on Route 30. But after that happened— We had a young man in our church who strongly felt that God had given him deep prophetic insights, and he decided to pull me aside and say to me that he felt like the Lord had showed him that the reason why that had happened to me and my family was because there were issues going on in my life that were unresolved, and God was trying to get my attention. Now, after I refrained myself from strangling him, because it's one thing to accuse me, but when you say that and my kids are in the car with me, those is fighting words, if you understand what I'm saying. So right away, he just came up with this concept. Well, the reason why that happened, there must be, there's some sin in your life. I can, I've always been able to sense it, and, and not only that, but felt the need to bring this to my leadership in the church as well. And to inform them, which became quite a very interesting thing because I basically, in the midst of a board board meeting, was one of the few times I tried to resign, uh, I said, look, if anyone here thinks that that's the reason why this happened, I will not serve this church if you think that there is something not right in my heart. I I will refuse to serve this church if something is amiss with me, so somebody better start preparing a sermon for Sunday morning, and I got up and I just walked out of the room, and I just drove home. And again— without giving all the the remainder of the story the bottom line is here's a scenario where something happened and instead of it just being an auto accident wasn't just an auto accident something must be wrong because what god would not let the innocent get into an auto accident god would never allow something like there must be something going on inside of your life and again this is the kind of the mantra that eliphaz is trying to bring to pass with job's life now whenever he says the innocent don't perish the upright are never cut off something must be going on job he says verse 8 even as i have seen those who notice those who plow iniquity and sow trouble they reap the same job you must have been sowing some kind of trouble in your private life there must be some iniquity going on that's hidden in your personal life and that's why you're reaping trouble now That's why you've lost your business, why your children have died, why you're going through this pain. He says, verse nine, by the blast of God, they perish and the breath of his anger, they are consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now, I think perhaps what's Trying to be inferred there in the poetic language is he's basically trying to paint God as like this ferocious lion who came in to attack the prey. And Job was the prey because he had sowed iniquity and now he was reaping trouble that God, like a ferocious lion, has brought this harsh judgment and these painful and problematic situations into Job's life to basically tear him to pieces. Now, in one sense, he's right. This was the result of a devouring lion, but 1 Peter chapter 5 explains which lion it was. It wasn't the lion of the tribe of Judah. Instead, it was what 1 Peter 5 says, your adversary, the devil, who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, be sober and vigilant. Pay attention. This was the result of a roaring, ferocious lion. This is the result of the demonic attack of the demonic forces and the devil himself trying to ruin and destroy Job's life in spiritual warfare. Well, again, as often the case, when people want to make such accusations or feel they have such deep insights, they need to be very spiritual in the way they go about it. So to me, verse 12 is no shock because now Eliaphaz says, listen, here's how I know this is true because I've had a spiritual experience. Look what he says, verse 12. Now a word was secretly brought to me And my ear has received a whisper of it in disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night. When the deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit notice just a spirit. He described a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. Ooh, sounds mystical. It stood still. But I could not discern its appearance. I couldn't tell exactly who it was. But a form was before my eyes. And then there was silence. And then I heard a voice saying, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? So he says, Job, I I know this is accurate because I had a spiritual experience. He says, I had this really interesting experience where it made my hair stand up on him. And this spiritual form passed before me, and it whispered secret things to me, he says. I received a whisper in my ear that said, can a mortal be more righteous than God, and can a man be more pure than his maker? And and look, I don't doubt that Eliaphaz may have indeed had a spiritual experience. The question is, was the spiritual experience God? Because there's more than one way to have a spiritual experience. And, And what's described here, if you look at it, of Eliaphaz's spiritual experience god doesn't deal in the realms of secrecy and do things weird and spooky and make people's hair stand up on end if god wants to speak to somebody he'll speak to somebody makes it very evident that it's him that's communicating it and so there's a degree of truth what he says but there's also a lot of error that's conveyed as well and always remember this, folks, always remember this in regards to spiritual experiences, which may not be from God. Sometimes the devil will gra- gladly set the table with a lot of truth in order to feed you a little bit of lies. And, and sometimes the devil again, remember, Paul says of the devil that he himself masquerades like an angel of what of light. And and the devil will gladly set the table in a way where things sound truthful. There's a lot of things that seem very deeply spiritual to be able to feed us just a little bit of lie and a little bit of deception to take us off track. And here, Eliaphaz is so convinced that he's right because he had a spiritual experience, but there's no guarantee the spiritual experience he had was God himself. And so now he's kind of reading into this and wanting to put this idea into Job's mind, he says. Verse 18, he says, If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening, they perish forever, with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Now, again, That's not accurate of God. If he puts no trust in his servants, there are times where God puts servants into things where he entrusts them with things to do. God entrusted Noah again. And I'm just using references prior to the time of Job, which they would have had a reference point for. Noah was entrusted with something as a servant of the Lord. Remember to build a boat, to build an ark. He's saying in the midst of his revelation, God doesn't put any trust in his servants. Well, wait a minute there. What you're saying contradicts the ways of God. And as soon as something contradicts the ways of God or the word of God, it discredits everything. That's why the Bible tells us to test all things that we hear that are supposedly from God. I I, I don't buy into just because somebody says they had a spiritual experience that automatically that indicates that its validity That something is from God. The Bible says don't despise prophecies. Can God give visions and dreams and revel? Absolutely. But we test all things and we only hold fast to what's good. And we should never hold fast to anything that contradicts anything of God's nature, God's ways or God's attributes and certainly not God's word. And here what he's saying doesn't line up with the ways of God. And that should have been a very clear indication that though he had an experience, if he did, that indeed it wasn't something from God. And unfortunately, he begins to sow thoughts of doubt into Job's mind, which will begin to make Job himself struggle with wondering if indeed God was punishing him in some way ultimately. He says, verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, Call out now, is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you return? So he says, Job, you need to pray, man. But he says, honestly, I don't know who's going to listen to you, given the condition you're in. That's real encouraging for wrath kills a foolish man and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety and they are crushed in the gate and there is no deliverer. Now take notice he's inferring there about children being unsafe and being crushed and destroyed. What did Job just lose? All of his children. He's actually inferring to Job the reason why your 10 children just died is because of something that's your fault. You want to talk about adding insult to injury here, actually accusing Job that his children's death was actually his fault in some way. Because the hungry eat up his harvest, taking it even from the thorns, and a snare snatches their substance nor does trouble spring from the ground yet man is born to trouble and as the sparks fly upward now verse seven there certainly has a measure of truth in it and that's the difficulty throughout the whole book of job you don't ever want to use it for doctrine it's not one of those places in the bible where you want to just flip open and read a verse and and make doctrine but there are some true things stated in the book but yet Many of the things, uh, in a sense, are just the ideas of men and what was recorded of them. But verse 7 is certainly a true principle. As man is born to trouble, as the sparks fly upward. That is so true. Just like when you watch a fire and the natural result of a fire burning is the sparks do what? The sparks fly upward. He's saying in the same way that always happens, he says man is born to get into trouble. So that's why you're in trouble, Job. Now that part's not true. But it is true that man is born to trouble. We are automatically inclined from our birth to get ourselves into trouble because of our sinful tendency from the very beginning of our lives. Verse 8, he says, as if now he's kind of self-righteously trying to correct Job, he says, but as for me, in other words, Job, if I were you, if it were me, Job, he says, I would seek God. And I would commit my cause to him who does great things and unsearchable Marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Now, certainly he's making true statements about God. Indeed, God does do great things. God's ways are unsearchable. He does give rain to the earth and send water on the fields. God does bless and lift up the lowly. But unfortunately, what he's inferring in a backdoor way Is Job The the problem is, is you need to get yourself back right in relationship with God again. If I were you, I would get things right with God because God will deal with you fairly if you just get right with him. And he says, this isn't God's fault. Obviously, there's something going on. So he says, verse 12, he frustrates the devices of the crafty. Job, you may be living before all of us as if somehow you are a righteous man. But I start to think that you're just a crafty fellow. And you got a double life going on somewhere. And God sees and God's aware of your crafty activity that you've been doing things that are wrong behind the scenes. He says he frustrates the device of the crafty so their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword from the mouth of the mighty and from their hand. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, he says, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the almighty. So again, he's, he's inferring that God is chastening Job, that God is correcting him. And again, is that principle true doctrinally? Yes. Yes. The principle there in verse 17 is a true principle theologically is that God does correct and that we should not despise the chastening of the Lord. The writer of Proverbs speaks about that in chapter three. The writer of Hebrews picks up on the same idea in the New Testament in chapter 12, that whom the Lord loves, he chastens just like a father chastens his son. And so there may be times where we are going through difficulties and it is the chastening hand of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. I know from my own experience, typically it's not real complicated for me to be able to tell the difference. Typically, when God's chastening me and correcting me, I know what I've done dumb. I usually don't need anybody else to tell me. (laughs) I usually don't need someone else to say, maybe God's correcting you. I could be the first to tell you, I did something dumb, and now God's chastening me. God's correcting me. That seems to be a real clear thing between me and my father. The mistake we make is we take that principle and we try and assume when we see someone else struggling that the reason why they must be going through that is God must be dealing with them in some way. And we kind of infer this idea that we know that what is going on in their life is God is just trying to correct them or chasten them in some way. And look, if that's not the case that can be a horribly discouraging and painful accusation towards someone because we make them feel like that they got to become introspective when the reality is it may not be God correcting them at all. It just may be God allowing them to go through some form of a trial in their life. And those are vastly different things. So here he's trying to infer this idea that Job is being chastened by the Almighty. He says, verse 18, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands Make whole and he shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you in famine. He shall redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine. and You shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field And the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. And you shall know that your tent is in peace and you shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. Again, the idea here is he's implying Job, these truths about God are what's accurate. So if they're not happening in your life, there's nothing wrong with God. There must be something wrong with you. And he's continuing to try and dig at this reality that Job, if you're going through hard times, And you're not experiencing these things. It must be because there's some underlying issue that's taking place in your life. He says, verse 24, you shall know that your tent is in peace and you shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know your descendants shall be many and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age. In other words, Job, you wouldn't be suffering and almost at the point of death if you were righteous as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this we have searched out, and it is true. Hear it and know it for yourself. In other words, Job, these things are theologically true, so they have to be true about your life. Look, we always need to be careful because maybe we know scripture verses and maybe we know theological truths, but Lord, help us when we start to play God in somebody else's life. And that's what Eliaphaz is doing here. He's saying, Job, I can see what you're going through, and he automatically assumes, I've searched this out. Job, I've evaluated your situation, and I know it's true. You just need to hear what I'm saying and accept it. And in a sense, he kind of indicates to Job that somehow he has the inside track with God, and so he knows exactly. What is going on? Well, Job answered and said, oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity, he says, laid with it on the scales. Then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. So Job makes this poetic statement about his suffering. He says, if you could take all of the wet sand That exists, he says, all the sand of the sea, wet, heavy sand and put it on one side of the scales and put all my hardships and calamity and pain and suffering on the other side of the scale. He said my pain and hardship and calamity would totally outweigh all that heavy sand. Again, Job's just trying to, in a poetic way, say how much difficulty he's under at this time, how much hardship, the weight. You know, we talk about the weight of someone's problems. He's just trying to infer that. And he says that's why. My words, maybe they have been rash, Job says. Maybe I've said some rash and impulsive things, but I'm under a lot, he's trying to indicate. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Does it low over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Absolutely not, right? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? You can decide that my soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God. Notice that it would please God to just crush me. That he would loose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort, though I am in anguish. I would exalt. He will not spare for I would have not concealed the words Of the Holy One. What strength do I have? He says that I should hope. And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or my flesh the flesh of bronze? Is my help not within me? And success driven from me? So basically Job says. Look. You could tell from verse 4. Maybe you're right. And this is the unfortunate thing. Because up to this point. Job was not in the way of thinking that somehow he had sinned. But one person in his life begins to deposit this idea in his mind, and now all of a sudden you notice from verse 4 of chapter 6 onward, he starts to say, the arrows of the Almighty are within me. In other words, he says, maybe this is God taking shots at me. Maybe this is God trying to pierce me and God trying to shoot at me and punish me and bring this affliction into my life. And let me just say, It is difficult enough when people suffer. When people go through a hardship, some life tragedy, or they are dealing with some heavy, painful thing in their life, it is hard enough to carry around the weight of a heavy burden. The last thing somebody needs in that situation is to begin to think that God is the one who's actually pressing down on them in displeasure. Or that God is the one firing shots at them trying to make their life miserable or trying to harm them and make them worse. That is probably one of the worst ideas we can put into someone's mind. And yet sometimes trying to be overly spiritual, we kind of convey that idea to people sometimes when we try and give them explanations. Be very, very careful when you're dealing with people that are suffering. The last thing you want to do is put an idea in their mind. That they start questioning God where they stay getting angry at God or thinking that somehow God is angry with them on top of everything else that they're going through. And you know what? If you find yourself wrestling with that in the times of your suffering, there comes a time when you need to believe your beliefs and you need to doubt your doubts. Believe what you know is true and doubt the things that are the doubts that begin to arise in your mind. Sometimes that is necessary. Because doubts will begin to arise in your mind about God and God's goodness and what God's doing. Doubt those doubts and believe what you know is true. And when you don't know certain things, just rely upon what you do know. This unfortunately starts a process where Job will begin to wrestle in confusion as he dialogues with his friends going forward throughout the rest of the book. Let's stand together. Let's leave off there and pray.